The Republican Party has never transformed the world. The Democrat Party has never transformed the world. Your particular social issue that you're passionate about never transformed the world. My particular social issue that I get all jazzed up about and heated about never transformed the world. But historically speaking, it is Jesus Christ, his story, what he stood for that has transformed the world. And that is just a historical fact. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I'll be your host for the program tonight. The perfect blend of politics and religion. Is there such a thing? Well, tonight we're joined by John Sly, the lead pastor at Grace Community Church in Arlington, Virginia, a church for people who don't go to church. We'll be talking about this and some other issues, including the Christian response to the coronavirus. John, welcome to Grace in 30. Thank you so much, Ed, for having me again, man. Very kind of you. I know you're four-time guest. We were joking about it before the show. You're, you're tied with another guy named Larry Thompson. Fantastic. we got to get you back in the next month and, and beat him. Absolutely. So Andy Stanley, someone I know you, you follow and you like, uh, he's a senior pastor at North Point Community Church in Atlanta. He kicked off the year with a sermon series entitled Talking Points, The Perfect Blend of Politics and Religion. It's excellent. I think you've listened to it. I have. Right? So let's just kick it off with what is your advice for followers of Jesus during this election season, leading up to the election, during the election, and post-election? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great thing to talk about. It's difficult to do. I would encourage anybody to go on and listen to that same three-part sermon series that he did on North Point Community Church, uh, and just think about some of the things he's talking about. Um, Again, uh, it's easy to talk about, difficult to do. We definitely need to be reminded of it all the time, because we can say these things. We can say that, oh yeah, we need to find common ground. We need to listen to others, which is what he talks a lot about. But then actually doing them is very, very challenging. Before we know it, we find ourselves in the midst of a conversation, we start getting our back up a little bit, and then it's all downhill. (laughs) But we definitely need to be reminded of that, and we need to be reminded of what is it that we are really tied to? What is it that really makes a difference in my life and in the world? And if I want my life to be a better life, and I want this world to be a better place, what actually accomplishes that? So what is that? Well, what we see is, and particularly in our our context, we're thinking about the political season that we're in, and uh, we are really polarized between Republicans and and Democrats. You think? The Republican Party has never transformed the world. The Democrat Party has never transformed the world. Your particular social issue that you're passionate about? never transformed the world. My particular social issue that I get all jazzed up about and heated about never transformed the world. But historically speaking, it is Jesus Christ, his story, what he stood for that has transformed the world. And that is just a historical fact. And even history uh, buffs and professors who are atheists will agree to that because it is just a historical fact. So if I really want this world to be a better place, if I really want my life to be a better life, I need to go with what actually works and be passionate about that. So what is that? What what did Jesus do that actually worked? So 
you know, what Christ really stood for, and that becomes so confusing. And actually, Andy Stanley talks about this. He says, you look at Jesus, Democratic Party will say, hey, Jesus, this is who Jesus is from our viewpoint. Republican Party do this. Everybody's throwing around the name of Jesus, right? But, but what is it? What is the key understanding that we need about Jesus Christ that is so radically different that will center us? And that you have to really go back to the covenant love of God right? Mm-hmm. So what is that about? And that gets started right in the very beginning of the Bible, the covenant love of God. Something that we love to argue about all the time, the book of Genesis. Something that people label Christian churches with so commonly is they say, we are anti-science. When actually Genesis chapter one is just this incredible, just cascade of covenant love of God. It's all over the place, but we don't see it because we don't look at it through ancient Jewish eyes and we might miss it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. yeah. I find the first verse of the Bible fascinating. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the four building blocks of the beginning time. God yeah. created the expenditure of energy, the heavens and the earth, space and matter. Yes. Those are the four fundamental things. There's energy acting on matter in time and space. Yeah. And now people are saying, oh, there's got to be also some sort of intelligence for mathematics and all these things. Well, there's God. Yeah. That's, I find that fascinating. Okay, so you just quoted Genesis 1-1. That mm-hmm. was excellent. You, the you gotta, very beginning. You know your Bible, Ed. You know your Bible. Okay. <laughs> just a touch. Do you know how many Hebrew words are in Genesis 1-1? No. Seven. Do you know how many Hebrew words are in Genesis 1-2? No. Fourteen. Do you know what the number seven means? What? It's God's covenant number. Okay. Do you know how many paragraphs there are? After Genesis 1-1, how many paragraphs there are in Genesis chapter 1? There's seven. And all of them lead to the seventh day. There are hundreds of sevens. Now, you and I wouldn't get this. But if you read Hebrew and you look at it through their eyes and their culture and their context, what you get is everything leads to the seventh day. It says, and it was good seven times, right? And the seventh time it says it was very good. And then it says, basically, everything's leading to the seventh day. And the number seven is the same number in Hebrew that is for swearing an oath. The, 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 the number seven, the word Sabbath, right? And the word for swearing an oath as in a covenant in Hebrew are almost identical words. They're so close. And what scholars will tell you who are experts in Hebrew or in ancient Judaism is what you see in Genesis 1 is God is sevening himself to all of his creation. He is covenanting himself. So what does that mean then? That totally changes your view of God. So what God is doing, when so when you read in the Bible that God says, I will restore all things. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why does it say that? Because God is covenanting himself with all of creation to one day restore all of creation. That's why Jesus comes. We're talking about that. I'm thinking about this so much. I think about it all the time, but particularly this weekend, because this weekend in church, we're doing a, a, a sermon I've entitled, Stop Dropping Biblical F-Bombs. And it's based off of John chapter five, turning point in the life of Jesus Christ. I don't know how far down this road you want to go right now, because uh, I know you want to talk about politics, but in a 
And in a way, all this circles back to what the true meaning of Jesus Christ is. But you see, John chapter 5 is a major turning point in the life of Jesus Christ. John chapter 5 is where the leaders of the Jewish church say, you know what, we're going to kill him. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kill him in the most humiliating, most painful way possible. And it all was a result of Jesus healed a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Now, what's fascinating about John 5 is we don't understand a lot that's going on there. Scholars would tell you, 38 years... Obviously, that means something, but we have no idea what it means. Jesus asked the man who's lying by this pool in Bethesda, says, do you want to get well? Why would he ask him, does he want to get well? He's been laying there for 38 years. Of course, he wants to get well. Does that mean that he's somehow culpable in his sickness? Well, we don't know. But the one thing we do know about this story is Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. And the story is really about what the Sabbath means. <laughs> and what the Sabbath means is, is a perpetual reminder of the covenant love of God. So you're getting back to the word love. Yes. You know that I've been very focused. I was running off on this notion of 627, Luke 627. Yeah. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, uh, pray for those who hurt you. I mean, when Jesus defined our neighbors, one of the greatest commands is love God and then love neighbor. Yes. And who's the neighbor include? The despised Samaritan. Yes. So I see overlap here. Yes. You're talking love. I'm talking love. So... You know, what do we do as a practical matter, you know, in this time? Okay. I know what Ed Mellick's answer is, but I want to know what John Sly's answer so is. So I'll tell you from this story about this invalid getting healed. An invalid in those days was viewed as with contempt. Steer clear. Stay away. Don't go near. Now, he, Jesus heals him, right? And he shows no gratitude. Man's been lying by, by a pool for 38 years. Nobody has helped him into the pool, he says. Nobody. This guy's like, nobody can help him. He can't help himself. Nobody can help him. Jesus is the only person who walks up to him and helps him. Does he th say thank you? No. He doesn't even know his name. He says, pick up your mat and walk. The leaders see him carrying his mat. He says, what are you doing? You're carrying your mat on the Sabbath. You can't be doing this. And he says, well, the person who healed me told me to pick it up. He says, well, who was? He says, I don't even know. And then Jesus finds him a second time and goes to him and says, hey, look, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen. So Jesus gives him some word advice. What does that mean? We're not really sure. But then the guy goes and runs to the leaders and says, it was Jesus who did it. So he betrays him. Hmm. Jesus walks up to somebody that nobody else will walk to. Jesus walks towards him, right? And this guy betrays him, basically spits in Jesus's face. That's covenant love. Jesus knew he was going to do all that. Covenant love means when I hold my arms open wide to Jesus, he loves me back. And when I close my arms to Jesus, he still loves me yeah. and he still finds me. Well, that's what grace is about, right? That's it's, what it's grace is about. Loving people precisely because they're, yeah. they're harming you, doing harm to you, yeah. they're against you, but you, you still choose to do it anyway. Yeah. And this is where we get to the thing that's easy to talk about and hard to do, Ed. What does it mean to really follow Jesus Christ? It means to love people when they're lovable and when they're unlovable. That is what transformed the world. Yeah, I feel like I have a, an insight. You know what I did with Diane? We, we got divorced after 25 years. Yes. We were enemies at the end. Yes. I went to her and said, hey, I feel like God has led me to lay my life down for you. And the answer was, get out of my face. Yeah. I'll see you in court. And I started doing it, and the power of it was just simply unbelievable. Yeah. And it just grew and grew over time, but it wasn't easy. And so when I think of the scriptures, you know, Jesus said, if anyone wants to be my follower, you have to set aside your selfish interests, yeah. take up your cross daily, yes. and follow me. And that's what, you know, you're not literally dying every day, but you feel like it. When you're loving someone who doesn't love you back, yes. that's really painful yes. each day, all day. I yes. mean, do you, do you feel the same way about that verse? 
it, it really reflects you know many things, of course, but but as a practical matter, what you feel like when you're going through and doing this. Yes, very very difficult. I think you hit the nail right on the head. Hard to do, but very transformative when you are able to do it. And for me, Ed, I really need God's help mm-hmm. to take baby steps in that direction. Right? Covenant love is unconditional love. Well, and, really, you you can't do it without His help. Yeah, that's true. You can't. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I learned with that. I I couldn't have done it. I mean, I wrote in the book that I wrote. This, I'm not the hero. Ed Malik is ugly and impatient and angry, mm-hmm. but Christ in me is beautiful and strong and can do you know infinitely more than I would ever dare to ask or yes. to imagine. So I'm like, great. I'm just going to surrender. The more I surrender, the better my life is. Yeah. But each time I take the wheel, it's it's not good. It's a constant battle. Yep. Kind of keeps you praying, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely yeah, does. Yeah. So we live in a time of great fear and anxiety, even before Corona hit, right? A lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. Here's what psychologists tell us that will help us with our anxiety, unconditional love. It brings a peace and a safe place to us if we're loved unconditionally. That's what psychologists tell us. That is the love of God. That's why Jesus mm-hmm. come to me all who want rest, because he's offering us covenant love which is unconditional love that is so transformative to our lives that's what we need desperately yeah so you mentioned the virus yes so maybe it's a good segue because we've been talking we'll just talk forever you and i will we'll steamroll all the other programs that are after us how should a christian view this a follower of jesus christ view this virus and sort of you know certainly you reap what you sow you want to do basic sound things washing your hands and all that but you also don't want to have fear as you mentioned before you know this that typical person might have what what do you think we should do what are your recommendations for listeners who are followers of christ yeah well i would really want to go back and think again about what did the church do followers of jesus do back in what we call the golden age of the church in those first few hundred years rome was hit by plagues during those years what did they do they prayed a obviously they prayed they prayed a lot it was a serious thing the other thing they did is they cared while other people were running away they were running towards the prop, kind of like Jesus and the invalid man we talked about a minute ago. What do heroes do? September 11th, people run away from the buildings while the heroes are running toward. And so that's what you see they, they did in Rome, the early church did in the golden age of the church. They prayed, they ran towards, they loved, they helped, they showed concern and showed compassion because they knew that their hopes weren't in this life, but they knew their hopes were in Christ and that, that made a huge difference to them. So I would say as a church, we need to be mindful. We need to take precautions. We are at our church. We're doing all kinds of stuff to take precautions and to help. And I know lots of big gatherings are canceling. NCAA tournament, I heard, is going to be played in front of empty seats in this, like, right? So UVA is canceling classes. So all this stuff is going on. So maybe we need to, we, we need to do some of that. A lot of churches are canceling, not having the gathering. We might do that. Of course, we have this great video team at Grace that allows us to still engage with people through Grace Live, to have live services. That's really cool. So we got to pray. We got to reach out. We got to love. We can't give in to the fear because we know that our hope is in Jesus Christ, right? So all of these wonderful things. And then we got to do the practical stuff that just makes sense. You know, we've got to deal with what's going on around us. So let's get back to election, because I want to bro- broach something with you. A couple things, actually. Yes. First, as I've been praying for years, uh, you know, a lot of people said when the election came last time, they, they were like, oh, I'm holding my nose and I'm voting for candidate A or B. They, they, yeah. they said both of them are bad. Yeah. 
And I keep thinking, because I know what a messed up Christian I was 10, 12 years, 12 years ago. It was really, really bad. And I know we all fall victim to deceit and, and foolishness. And I really believe if, if we really believed and we got together corporately and, and individually and prayed and it said, God, this is not good enough. You know, I want a Josiah. Yeah. You know, if you read in the Old Testament, it talks about he's, there was no king like him and none after him. And yeah. that, that includes David and Solomon. Mm. Um, you know, I pray for that, for God. Do you think this is something, I see this as a very practical thing. Do you think churches should start inviting the congregation and say, look, if you're dissatisfied, with the political, with the politicians and the candidates and whatever, and you want to see something different, let's act like we believe in, in Ephesians three twenty God, mm -hmm. and ask for something way better. Is that something you know that you would recommend doing? There is no question that the Bible calls us to pray for our leaders, to pray for people who will be leaders. That we should pray, 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 pray. Fairy tales are always made up of this constant theme. There's gonna be a noble prince, there's gonna be a noble knight, there's gonna be a noble king who would do for us more than what they would do for themselves. In other words, they would what? They would lay down their life, right? Now, we have all these fairy tales, but we don't actually have any real life examples of that happening, do we? Except for one, and he got nailed to a cross, okay? And I think that people would recognize, yeah, there's no perfect people except for Jesus Christ. We need to be realistic. We need to know that we're all human beings. I'm selfish, okay? I need accountability. I need help. I know that. I need to be humble about that and realistic. So we need to know, we need to pray, we need to pursue it, we need to hold up those values, but we also have to know at the end of the day, there was only one person who's completely for us and willing to lay down his life for our best interest. To do what we've always thought about was so noble, right? Gonna serve us, not serve themselves. Jesus is the only one who took that all the way to the cross. So you mentioned Andy Stanley, we were talking about his sermon. He, I think one of the big takeaways I had from that is he said, we have an eternal king who, who is the only truly just and honest and righteous and kind all these things. Everyone has been a failure. You, you may yeah. be a Trump fan or an Obama fan. They're all human. They were all failed. Yes. And, and, and so why would we elevate any one of these human failed leaders above Jesus Christ? Yeah. We keep looking for a Messiah, don't we? Yeah, we do. We keep looking for a Messiah. We, that's, the way, that's the way we've always been. We're always looking for a Messiah. Uh, but there is one Messiah. Uh, there is one, actually. That's the good news. Yeah. And, and you know, what? why wouldn't we want to follow him? Yeah. We look at what Jesus values, service and sacrifice and love and acceptance and grace and truth. Why wouldn't you want to follow Christ? The, the only reason that maybe you wouldn't, one of the big reasons you wouldn't want to follow Christ is if somebody has given you a wrong view of Jesus, right? A lot of there that going on these go. days. <laughs> So I want to bring up another idea. Yeah. I've been talking to people about a concept of what I call a grace lobbyist. Yeah. And I mentioned this to um, a friend of mine. Is you know, He sold a couple of companies and he works for a VC firm. And his wife is a fairly well-known author. She worked for Time Magazine for 10 years. She's written two well-accepted books, acclaimed books. And she's studying conflict now. She says she's been immersed in it for three years. Yeah. And I mentioned this to her back in December. We spoke again a few weeks ago. And she says, well, I just keep thinking about that. you know. And she sent me an article on lobbyists 80,000 lobbyists yeah. are lobbying people on Capitol Hill that that's 
I could have never guessed the number was that high. Crazy. And she talked about this article, Hidden Tribes. It said there's all these people on the two extremes, and then there's the, the exhausted majority in the middle. They're tired of the extreme left and the extreme right. And she says, I, I believe like some millions of people would just celebrate if they knew that people were on Capitol Hill, that were before companies, and were lobbying for yeah. this Christ-like, radical, sacrificial, grace-filled yeah. behavior. Yeah. What is your reaction to something like that? And do you have any idea pop into your mind of, you know, how to go about doing that? Uh, how to go about doing it? I don't know, but I know it's needed, right? I know it's really needed, uh, but it's hard to pull off because actually Andy Stanley talks about this a little bit in the series where he says, we are so polarized. And what you do when you're polarized on the two opposite ends, the way that you get momentum and the way you get money. Two M's. I don't mm. think he said this, but I'll say this. The way you get momentum and money is by fear. And so you, on your polarized side, you say, be afraid of the people on the other side. And if we don't, stand against them. So, so that's where all the traction, the momentum and money is. It's all based in fear. Now, Jesus Christ is based in love, not in fear. And I think what you have to have is you have to have a group of people who are so fired up about who Jesus Christ is and who will support that and who will be passionate about it and who will finance it so that that message keeps coming through over and over and over again because that's what we need. Everybody knows what we need, but who's going to do it, Ed? And who's going to fund it? I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, I'm actually going to do something I don't typically do, just have a little pause here. If someone just happened to land on the program, maybe you're a regular listener, maybe you just happened to spin by the dial, Think about this. Pray about this. I would love to do this. Yeah. And I know other people, my co-host Sal, he, he would love to dive in on something like this. You got to have some measure of funding to do some, you know, get the, the machinery in place and do things that just have to be done. But if there's anybody out there that has ideas or whatever, please, at Grayson30 on Twitter or just write us at our website, Grayson30.com. Reach out to us and... And help us to, to start working on this problem to be because yeah. there are people out there that are passionate and they need to be matched with people who have resources. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. I guess I want to know what, you know, you always say, I've heard your many, many sermons say we need to be famous for love. Yes, we do. What, what should be, what, tell us, what should Christians be famous for instead of what they're famous for now? Yeah. So they should be famous for love. And, and that really comes a lot from John 17. We're very familiar with the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, our Father heart in heaven. But actually the longest recorded prayer we have is of Jesus in the Gospel of John, which is an amazing book. Gospel of John basically covers the first week of Jesus' ministerial life on earth, and then there's a bunch of stuff in between, and then half of the book is dedicated to his last week on earth. And one of the last thing he does in John 17, an entire chapter, is he prays. He prays for himself, he prays for his followers, and then he prays for you, Ed, because he prays for anybody in the future who would ever follow him, which is a pretty amazing thought. And he says in that prayer, may they be one, mm -hmm. right? And, and if we're one, if we're unified, if we become famous for love, then people will be drawn. And that's what we saw happen in the early church. They became famous for love, and it radically changed this world. Think about that. Well, the other thing I love about chapter 17 and verse 24, he says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. Yeah. Yeah. You'd think we would be just totally amped up. It's one of the things Sal and I are doing. He's a Catholic. I'm a, I guess I'm an evangelical. We're yeah. working together and people are like, oh, I can't believe you're working with 
that shouldn't be shocking. Right. We should be unified. Right. It, it should cut across all denominations. This is incredible power in unity. Yes, it, 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 it really is. In my Bible study group, uh, we have a guy, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, great guy. He's Muslim, right? So we, we all need to be together and pray with each other and help each other. And you know this, Ed, we have a number of people come to grace. We have a ton of people who've never been to church before in their life. We have a ton of people who are atheist and they come week after week after week and they serve. Some of them serve at the church on our teams in church because we are a church for people. Right? So, so let's get on that a little bit. And you know, we've had Muslims, we've had all sorts of people. We, we're too much echo chamber these days. TBN, CBN, everything is all Christians for all the time for Christians. Yeah. You know, we're on a secular station here, yeah. and we invite all sorts of people in. There's a thing called common grace. People inside and outside of the church can do amazing things. Yeah, and we should be celebrating that and and getting close to them and getting to know and love them. Talk a little bit about the statistics. I mean, we've got another two and a half minutes or so, but. You, you say often 37% of the people that come to Grace uh, classify, self-classify as non-church goers, whereas the national average is 5%. Correct. What is it about your church that makes this such an opening, welcoming environment? I'd say probably the first step is just the fact that our identity statement, we are a church for people who don't go to church. Now, here's, here's what happens with that. There's a lot of churchgoers that hear that and they're confused by that. Some don't like it. Others are drawn to it. They think it's really cool. But a non-churchgoing person Either A, they've never been to church before in their life, or they haven't been in a long time. They see that identity statement and say, that's interesting. That's for me. I don't go to church. I'd like to explore who is Jesus. And they feel drawn to that. So that's the first step. And then they come in, and they're in an environment where uh, there's not condescension, right? That there's not a fear-based interpretation. I'll say this, a fear-based misinterpretation of Jesus, right? Perfect love cast out fear. The gospel's not based in fear, and we focus on that. Grace only does three things, as you know, Ed. Christ, compassion, and community. Compassion for us is service, right? Jesus came to serve, not be served. Community, relationships. The quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationship. But those two things are all energized by one thing and that's the first c and that's jesus christ anytime we focus on him and what he's really about and who he really is and 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 did in this world that changes everything well that's perfect you started off with jesus you ended with him you got another minute is there something that's just burning your heart you want to share with the audience and tell them you know, just make sure you leave with the audience. Undeniably, and again, uh, even atheists would admit to this, Jesus Christ has totally transformed uh, the world. Uh, you, you, you look at Dr. King and the great work that he has done, and just about everybody in our world reveres Dr. King. Dr. King stood, he's a pastor, he stood on, on, on the word of of God. He stood on the Bible. He stood on Jesus Christ. And that is what caused a revolution in our civil rights. The Bible, right from the get-go, introduced a thought to us that has been so deeply transformed that we're all created in the image of God. Dr. King came back to that. He said, there's no gradations in the image of God. We need to really think about who is Jesus and what does it mean to follow him. And I would encourage everybody to investigate that because that is what has proven in the past to change the world and it'll change the world again. That's the hope. Thank you, sir. You're, you're really good at this. 
You're keeping you're, yourself you're, tight in the you're time. A good, you're a good question asker. Thank you. Thank you. If anybody wants to find out more about Grace Community Church, check them out on the web at trygrace.org. That's T-R-Y-G-R-A-C-E dot org. Uh, a recording of this program can be found at thegraceand30.com and WERA.FM websites, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and John signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.